Welcome to the Inspiring Leadership podcast series. This is aimed for you aspiring leaders, whatever level you're at, whether you're beginning out in your careers as managers and leaders, whether you're in middle ranking roles, or whether you're CEOs and chairman of boards, there's always something we can all learn. And it's particularly the skills, stories, tips and techniques that you can pass on to those you lead and your teams. Hello, I'm Jonathan Bowman-Perks and welcome back to my favourite time of the week. And as part of the Inspiring Leadership series, I'm really delighted to have Andreas Uterman, who I've known for some years. And Andreas just finished in January being the CEO of Allianz Global Investors. Had a very successful career in the investment world and he continues to be an advisor and work on investments since then but we've always had great banter when we've talked about leadership uh, at events that uh, we've done together. But also I've learned far more than, uh, from him than he's learned from me. So uh-huh. Andreas, <laughs> great having you on board. Um, when you think about people who've been inspiring and, and people were very kind that they, they said, look, you've got to get Andreas on because he, he really is an inspiring leader, but he doesn't know he is. He doesn't, he doesn't brag about, it. he just does it. Um, when you think about people who've inspired you on your journey, who would you pick out um, firstly as a sort of someone you've worked for, maybe then perhaps somebody that you just have admired but you, you've never worked with them? What would be your, your first one? I'd probably have to start with my mum. Yeah. Um, I have a younger brother. Um, when uh, I was just when I just turned twelve, my father died unexpectedly, and she had to essentially, um, you know, bring up two pre one pre teenage and one just about teenage boy. Um, and she did a marvelous job at that. Um, I think it takes a lot of courage to do that, um, which is an essential leadership quality. Um, she analyzed the situation pretty well. She, she made sure that our environment as much as possible didn't change. Um, she made sure that um, uh, my, my dad was properly honored in the sense that she didn't really um, take another partner that would then sort of potentially become a, a father en lieu. She didn't think that was appropriate. I think that was absolutely right. And um, yeah, my, my, my brother and I have, have had successful lives with great families. And um, so therefore, I think my mum and her courage at that time, um, you know, she went back to work. She retrained as a teacher just to show that mm. that, that was an important part of, you know, her life didn't stop. She wanted to, 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 to achieve something and show yeah. that, that was possible. So I think that was really, really an important um, person in my life. Just, just staying with that, it's, uh, I've known you for some years, but it was only as we prepared for this that I realized that had happened for you because my mm. father was killed when I was three. And so I've met a number of people who've lost a parent mm. early in their, their lives. And, and it's been quite a shaping moment of their lives do you as you look back what what how could you reflect and say how that shaped you that that bad situation but you made something of it yeah it made me um, certainly uh, um, uh, it made me grow up very fast because uh, I felt that I needed to um, you know t- to be sort of almost the head of the family obviously my mum was but she needed somebody at her side to help her and mm. um, essentially that's what I what I then did for the rest of my teenage years I also felt a responsibility towards towards um, uh, uh, you know achieving a certain amount of things at uni and, and, and in school and also later on in, in my career to make my mum proud. So I, yeah. think, I think it really impacted me significantly and yeah. does to this day. Yeah, yeah, no, I think that's, wow, thank you. And, and who else would you, would you in business? Who, who would... In business, there are so many great leaders um, out there, but I think 
um, and I, I'm sure I'm going to do a disservice to, to many of them by naming just one because I only have the opportunity in this segment to talk about yeah, one we person. We can talk more about it in the next But one. I'm somebody who really believes in, in, in redemption, the power of redemption. Yeah. And um, I remember uh, one of the very first equity purchases I made in my investment career uh, went very badly wrong. Right. Uh, it went extremely badly wrong and it was so embarrassing. Uh, I think the, the stock went down by... I don't know, 60 or 70%. It was called Sexton Avionic. And my and at some point I decided I needed to own up to this because nobody had called me out on it. And I went to my boss and and I said, I'm terribly sorry. Who this was your boss? Bob Michelson at the Bob time. Bob Michelson. At, at Warburg's Mercury Asset Management, uh, later Mercury Asset Management. And, and he said, I know, I know. And then he pointed towards a sticker which he uh, had already got on his desk because he thought he was waiting for me to come and own up to this. <laughs> and he said, "And he said, promise me." And the sticker said, "Promise me, I'll never. Promise me, I'll never buy a technology stock again." <laughs> <laughs> and and I was petrified about being um, uh, told off very significantly. And that was not at all what happened. Yeah. And it didn't destroy my confidence in, in, in myself because you need to be confident if you want to make investment decisions. Yeah, Sometimes yeah. you get them wrong. And I thought that was so so important because there was no sense of retribution, yeah. no sense of, you know, you're going to suffer from because you've made a wrong decision. That's great. And I think that I've taken that's that with great. me all the time and remember that as a leader that that's yeah. really, really important not to make it people feel bad of, about themselves. Yeah, it is part of your style, I, I know, in the way you're with people. And then sport and fitness and health has been a really important part. And you, you have a favorite uh, sportsman, don't you? Who would it be? Yes, I do. I think, well, well I've certainly one that has inspired me greatly over the last uh, couple of decades is Roger Federer. Yeah. Because he plays, he has played at such a high level. Um, he has, um, by all accounts, has a very successful family, you know, four children on the road with him and the wife. And he's also a phenomenal ambassador for the sport. And he also appears to be friendly with his co-competitors who, who have voted him you know, sort of favorite player on the tour, mm. many many years. And if you look at how he's managed to achieve that, and I think this is really the le- this was one of the lessons for me as a leader as well, was that he was able to to balance work life in a quite a unique way. Yeah. Many many people, when they think about work life balance, look at them almost as two sides of a different coin. Yeah. Whereas he looks at it two sides of the same coin, and he says the only way I can perform the way I do as a family man, as an ambassador for the sport and as a high level sportsman is if my my environment, my context allows me to do that. Yes. The moment my wife says I don't want to travel anymore, I will stop my career. Wow. And I think that's so important. I don't think you can do this on your own. No. You need to have a compact around what you do and then you don't have then work and life don't conflict with one another, but they're part part one of the same thing. And Brilliant, it's so important. And, and you've uh, lived that yourself, and we'll talk about that in the mm-hmm. Inspiring Leadership Extra part. The last couple of things that we've got, I'd be interested in when you made a mistake um, as a leader uh, in style and substance, and how that shaped you now. Well, I think you make. I think one has to recognize that one makes mistakes all the time yeah. as a leader, as a person. Um, and I'll, I'll come to an example in a moment, but I think, I think one of the most important um, ways to deal with mistakes is to um, own up to them oneself and fix them immediately. And that often works yeah. by way of an apology yeah. um, and not linger on it. Yeah. If you let it fester, yeah. it'll impact everything you do from then on. So, so one needs to be good enough and, and own up to it. Yeah. And if it doesn't require an apology, but a change of course, that's also what needs to be done 
uh, be courageous about that and not stick with it, even though you know it's wrong, but right. uh, you know, fix it. Spot on. Spot on. Now, I think. What was your story? The story would be a really um, a very simple one. Um, you know, from when I was relatively young, um, lots of people looked at me as a natural leader in school and so on. But, you know, and, and, and it sort of, I didn't really apply to become team leader of the European team at SG Warburg, for example, but it just sort of happened almost by, by acclamation. Yeah. There weren't any other candidates in that sense. Mm. And um, th- th- that has, whatever it is, natural, n- natural leadership ability, whatever, makes, puts you in that position. Yeah. But the skills you require and need to be successful in that are very different from being a, a leader of a larger group of people, multi-teams. And the first big learning in my leadership journey was to, 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 to recognize yeah. that the skills weren't working at the larger level. And I was very fortunate that I had somebody who was in, in HR at the time who, who told me, Andreas, this is not working. Yeah. Um, you need to get some coaching because um, you are going to fail as a leader. Uh, you know, you're just not. And, and I was really surprised and taken aback at that. And, you know, then I took some coaching and, um, and the coach asked me, what do you want to achieve? With this, um, with with this coaching, why are you doing the coaching? Yeah. And I and I, and she said, write it down on a on a, on a whiteboard, and we will revisit it in six months' time once we've done this block of coaching and once we're hopefully done. And I looked at, and we looked at it, and I sort of wrote it down, and then we forgot about it. And then six months later, she reminded me, said, "Do you want me to show you what you wrote on that whiteboard?" Yeah. And I said, "Let's look at it." And it's embarrassing because, <laughs> and, but I had to laugh. I wrote on there, "I want to learn how to go into a meeting." And get everybody to do what I want to do. <laughs> well, Andrew, we must bring this to a close because we'll talk about this in the second part because you now get people to do that, but they want to do it. But Andres, thank you. It's great having you Thanks, on board. Jonathan. Always insightful comments. Thank Thanks. you very much. Hello, I'm Jonathan Bowman Perks, and welcome back to Inspiring Leadership Extra. And Andreas Uterman, the former CEO of Allianz Global Investor and now an advisor and an investor, he and I are having a great chat and a banter as we often have done in the past. So Andreas, it's uh, fabulous having you here. And I'm really interested in your early life and how that shaped you as a leader because it, it was, you know, quite a few things happened in it which were quite impactful. Just, just t- tell the, the listeners what happened. Yeah, thanks for, thanks for giving me the opportunity. Um, and as you say, we always seem to have a, a good banter. And I, I appreciate the opportunity to self-reflect because yeah. that's what we do when we talk. And yeah. um, you, that happens not often enough yeah. in one's life. So thank you for that. Well, early life. I mean, we, uh, you know, I, I was very fortunate in many ways to have been um, brought up in an international environment, which mm. I think opened mm. my eyes to the world effortlessly. Uh, it allowed me to um, to speak several languages fluently. Which ones? And, uh, which, which one? Well, English, obviously, German, yeah. French, Dutch, and I've, I have a modicum of, of, of Italian and Spanish as well. So I am impressed. And, and Latin, of course. I am impressed. That's a language. Though. Yeah, I think it is. So, 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 so that, that was really helpful, and it, it really didn't require that much of an effort, which is, which is doubly helpful in, yeah. in that sense. And, um, you know, the European school um, allowed me also to, um, I went to UCLA first and then to Wally in Brussels, allowed me to, 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 to witness different 
different European cultures close on because mm. each 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 nationality or each language has a has a section in that school. Yeah. And I was in the German section because my parents were worried I wouldn't learn German. They were German immigrants um, into Belgium. My mother tongue was French. My mother is a French teacher, but they wanted me to learn German properly. Wow. Um, and. You had two famous brothers there at the same time. Well, the Johnsons were there, and and Inukla, and uh, yeah, got got to know got to know them there a little bit, and Ursula von der Leyen as well, who was there um, just around the who same was time. Ursula von der Leyen, the Commission President. Okay, right. Uh, and um, and and now subsequently again here in London. Actually, funnily enough, uh, you know, life seems to go round in circles. Um, my yeah. oldest daughter and um, Joe Johnson's daughter go have been in prep school together since, uh, wow. since they were young. Joe so yeah. there we go, but. Um, but yeah, so so, and that really shaped me in many ways because mm. um, I was able to, as I said, to to look at these various cu- cultures, and I was really really impressed by the um, by the very holistic approach that the that the British teachers, uh, in- Irish included, mm. um, brought to school because they seemed to be the ones organising the sports events. They seemed to be the ones organising um, the theatre. Uh, I played in uh, Demetrius and Midsummer Night's Dream, a oh, school yeah. production. I always wondered if you were an actor, darling. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think. And and so there were the ones that equally, and th- that was important to me at the time, um, because my father died when I was young, when I was 12. The uh, one English teacher in particular, who still teaches there, by the way, Alan Phillips, um, he he actually made sure, he, he often met me after school and went running with me and, and took me to competitions across Europe. Right. Um, and in so running, was running your thing? Running cross country and, and track and field. I and wondered why. Seb Coe was my big, uh, my oh, big yeah. hero. Yeah, yeah, I still have a poster of him in my, in my gym at home, uh, Seb Coe. It was sort of that time, in 84, you know. Really? And what was the particular distance that you Well, middle, Well, cross country is typically about 3 to 5k, and, yeah. and, and then I was, a four, uh, I was an 800 to 1500 runner. So yeah, because like, like we, we and, share and that as a, so as a love of, of yeah, uh, yeah. that kind of distance. And, yeah. and, so, and, so I, and so looking at that, I felt that that way to approach education, to look at an individual, not um, sort of holistic, uh, sort of not, you know, has he given the right answer in terms of the date of the history exam, but rather has he made the right argument? Yeah. Even there's no right or wrong answer. That was something which was deeply ingrained in the, in the British way of teaching, but not the German or the French. All and right. that spoke to me, and that's ultimately what led me to decide I wanted to study in the UK, and yeah. then ultimately led me to become a naturalised Brit and, and build my yeah. life here. So did you do university here? Yes, London School of Economics. Wow, London School yeah. of Economics, yeah. very good. Yeah. Do you learn lots there? I learned a lot, and I was monetary econ- economics was my, my topic, and yeah. um, this was this is the mid-80s, Yeah. so I was very, very fortunate to have Mervyn King and Charles Goodhart as my as my profs. And, really? Um, yeah. And, wow. Uh, yeah, yeah, and so that was, those were the days. Gosh, fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and then and then getting getting you from education and London School of Economics into your first job. What was the first step you did? Well, because you, you started planned, working earlier in life. I, didn't I started working after after school for a couple of years. I did a bank apprenticeship in Germany um, at Deutsche Bank, and um, didn't really know where I was going to go for uni. And um, and as it happened, my best friend, my closest friend, my oldest friend, who's still very close to me. Um, decided he wanted to apply to uni in the UK, and as often has the case, you know, uh, monkeys see, monkeys do. I said, "That's a that's a good why not? That's a good idea." And I did, 
and yeah. uh, ended up ended up uh, at the LSE. And um, oh, and is your uh, friend still alive? And he's uh, still alive. Yeah, it, yeah. Thomas Thomas Th- Hesse. He um, yeah. he's he's right now. He's in New York, or he lives between New York and Berlin. Yeah. Um, one of his his oldest son is is my is my godson, and um, my my one of my daughters has got daughter to him. And yeah. And did, did he stay in banking? Man and all that. Did he stay? In he banking? wasn't in banking. He wasn't no. in banking. No, no, no. He was in media. Media. He's in media, and um, he's now finally found. I think his his vocation. He's 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 got a media um, startup, yeah, um, called Jam, and and he's working on that, and uh, and, and that's fantastic, good for him. Yeah, fantastic. Okay, and so, so so I ended up, you know, ended up in the UK, and um, didn't again, didn't really have a clue what I wanted to do. Yeah, and um, I thought I thought I might want to be a journalist because I loved information. Yeah, applied for the Wall Street Journal and the and the Financial Times, got an internship at the Financial Times. All right, yeah. enjoyed it greatly. I also applied for an internship um, in investment banking uh, at Warburg's. Uh, also got an internship there, but they obviously didn't think I was A grade enough, so they sent me into the asset management part of business. <laughs> and uh, and um, and I didn't think too much of it until <clears throat> until about a year later, I got a letter from, from Warburg saying, would I apply for the graduate program? Well. Which I then did, and and the the woman who was responsible for that, who I'm still very close to today, was my my very first boss, Consuelo Brook. Yeah. Uh, she 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 ensured that I actually did apply, and and huh. and um, you know I've never looked back really from there. So Good on um, her. so that's that's how what it happened. She, what's she doing there? Uh, she's retired. Yeah. She's retired, and uh, she has many interests. Uh, yeah. Some private investment. Do you keep in touch, or have you yeah, lost Absolutely. Her? I only had lunch with her a couple couple of weeks ago. That is nice. Yeah. That is yeah. very special. Yeah. I think yeah. people yeah. sometimes lose touch with people. Who shaped them? Uh, no, I think that's so important. I, yeah. I I try to keep in touch with all the people who've shaped me significantly, yeah. including that one teacher, Alan Phillips, yeah. that I talked about. I'm I'm still in touch with them, and that's you know on, really on, on Facebook, uh, you know. Well, uh, I, I was I was listening to Desert Island Discs and uh, Ian Wright, the footballer, yeah. and how they got in touch with his teacher who picked him up and looked after him yeah. when he was going off the rails, and he was just in tears about it. It just meant so much. And one of the joys of doing this podcast uh, series of inspiring leaders is I can go back and find officers particularly, because they were quite role models for me, certain officers, because having lost my father when I was three, um, who, who filled the gap for me. So one of the people who, who I will be getting on, and we've discussed, but I haven't nailed the date yet, is John Griffin, who equally shaped and influenced me like the lady influenced you. So, so take us further on. Who, who else influenced you and what experiences happened, good and bad? Um, you talked about the time that you, uh, you made that bad investment. Um, <laughs> but what, what else sort of highs and lows as you were going along, learning your way up the, the tree? Well, I think, I think, I think um, y- you know, the, the, the highs are really, um, y- y- for me, I've looked. I always look at. I don't look at life so much as highs and lows. To be honest, pers- personally, mm. I, I like to try. I like to live in the moment. Yeah. And for me, every day is a high, and I really mean that. I sort of really enjoy um, life. Actually, I like what mm. life throws at you. So before we met this morning, I was early. I, I tend to be early. Um, I've never missed a flight in my life because I'm always very early. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just walked around, um, you know, Farringdon and, and looked around the new construction. Uh, you know, the Elizabeth line is being built and, mm-hmm. and I was enjoying watching people walking. Yeah. And um, so for me, um, the, the, the ability to have a fulfilling career um, and 
at the same time, you know, growing a family and yeah. having a successful marriage um, is a constant high. Yes. Now there are lows. Obviously, you you might get sick, and we, you know, might we talk about some of the lows, perhaps. But, but to me, it's to, to me that's really what life's all about. Mm. It's not. It's not trying to hit particular highs. Um, of course, uh, you, I can you point were, to them. You know. No, but you were interested when we were chatting earlier. <laughs> you, you were talking about how that point of your family and spending time with your family. If you're giving your all to your job, then really all you've got space for left is. Is family, and you also do a lot of work, uh, and have been very generous to charities like our own Inspiring Leadership Trust and others. Talk a bit about that, because you, you, you've talked about, without dismissing others, how they focus a lot more elsewhere. But but you've, I think, you've got a quite a good balance. Right. So um, yes, I do think that um, if one wants to be, if one, if, if you're in a leadership position and not a nine to five job, it's really an all encompassing kind of role which which consumes you and takes yeah. a lot of energy it gives you lots of energy but it also takes a lot of energy if you then want to have a fulfilling uh, uh, family life successful family life that that then adds to that um, uh, you know in both dimensions yeah. it gives a lot but it takes a lot so there isn't that much time to do other things which I would call um, uh, either either things that might be quite selfish like you know going to meet the mates for a football match or, or you know something you know, on a or regular golf, basis or golfing that. going on a I, I, I never thought I could afford that if I wanted to, if I if I took the other two dimensions very seriously. Now I, you did mention um, philanthropy and charitable work, and it's not something that came to me naturally in the sense of setting it up in a structured manner. You know, I, I was sort of raised in a sort of relatively Christian uh, sort of context, so in that sense, giving is important, always is important. Uh, looking after the less fortunate than you, mm -hmm. but that's different from structuring it and. It really, there was one, there was one, um, one, one moment that 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 triggered that in me, which was as follows. I can just give the example. So somebody who will remain nameless, because otherwise it would be very obvious uh, what was going on, organized a um, a, um, a a sort of um, a, a mini opera uh, uh, evening with um, w with. Um, three singers um, and a select group of people who were invited for that performance say about 50 people were invited mm. and this is going back well 20 years at least 20 years and I was therefore definitely the most junior person in the room and I was also probably the the poorest relatively speaking the, 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 the less wealth least wealthy person in the room and I found myself and my wife sitting next to the person who'd organized the the opera and while this was a person that i i was relatively close with from from a from from a business perspective i didn't expect to be sitting there in the first row next to him so after the um event i approached him and i said uh, did you draw lots as to who was going to sit where or how did i end up sitting where i sat and he said well it's very simple you gave the biggest check wow. and I did not give a very big check and that really shamed me into this wow yeah yeah uh, well I mean that was the story yeah and you've always done that so you always been very supportive every year and it's coming up on the 5th of April I do a triathlon to raise money for okay well that's a girls. good, good. And, and and you've always been really supportive whenever I've asked you, you've you, you've been very very fair and very generous and 
you're selective in what you do, but you are always, I think, probably one of the most generous men I know. So thank you. So, and, and back to your career and people who've shaped you. Um, from from the, the good you do, what about the, the dark? Um, what If you look on your life, what has been one of the darkest moments and, and how did you cope with it? And how did that shape you really as a leader? I think, I, I think um, uh, as, as I mentioned earlier, um, I think I try to look at work and life you know, work-life balance holistically. Mm-hmm. So the dark ap- appears obviously both in the work context and in the personal context. Yeah. And let's maybe start with the personal context because it does impact mm. your ability mm. to lead and, and to, to function properly. I think, you know, I look back now at a 25-year relationship with my wife, 20 years of which, 22 years of which we've been married, three children, um, and successful marriage. But clearly when one has no children, and when then one has children, and then when one the career evolves, there will be difficult moments in a marriage. Mm. Um, hence, so many divorces and so many yeah. split yeah. up couples. And um, I think the my learning from those bad moments, from these difficult, challenging moments, is really twofold. The first one is, if one is committed to one's relationship, um, and one wants to make it work. Uh, then one needs to be able to forgive. Yeah, that's really critical, um, and that carries across. By the way, as I mentioned earlier, I, I kind of believe fundamentally mm. in the power of redemption. Yeah, um, but nobody's infallible, and there needs to be um, there needs to be this ability to forgive, and uh, and that's difficult. And the second thing is, and it goes hand in hand. I think, and again, I think it carries across to the professional world. You know, one needs discretion i.e. if there is a challenge in a couple mm. my advice is it needs to stay within the couple yeah if it goes outside it's over mm. and that's really that's quite a challenge and so i think i think we've overcome that um, many times um, over the past 25 years you know there, there will be big disagreements on many mm. things mm. kids educate whatever it is but if one carries it outside it snowballs other people come in with their views and the dynamic of the couple then gets impacted. So, so I would point to that significant learnings. It's yeah. great, you know. You, you, but it's difficult. It's difficult. You know, marriage is not for sissies. No. <laughs> <laughs> and and children and family and all that. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, if one looks at the the um, the professional arena, I, I think by by far and most the most difficult times, and they occur regularly. And and repeatedly and 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 is when one has um, ethical or moral dilemmas. Yeah. And um, unfortunately, as CEO of a company or as a very senior representative of a company, um, this happens more and more frequently. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if one just takes the abstract macro level about. Um, the requirements of the shareholder relative to the requirements of other stakeholders. Mm. Everybody talks about it, everybody talks about clients, everybody talks about staff, but the pressures that are brought upon um, publicly quoted companies mm. to deliver shareholder return, sometimes seemingly at the expense of the other stakeholders, yeah. is incredibly tough. It's an incredibly tough one to manage and really um, is um, 
I think emotionally and and uh, and then also physically because there is an inter interaction between the two and there's a link between the two, very damaging yeah. over time. It yeah. takes a big toll. Yeah. Uh, and um, and uh, yeah, these are the most difficult moments. And uh, you know, um, one needs to know what one's prepared to accept and what not. What not. Yeah. And then in the latter case, then inevitably there can be big conflicts that arise from that that are not visible visible to anybody else in the organization which you have to then come back to this point about discretion you have to keep it within yourself yeah because otherwise you create even bigger problems but that's yeah. that's a tough one yeah because you can't talk to anybody about it you, you never know anyway what's the right answer because everything's sort of relative a bit um, and it's, it's a heavy burden yeah no, it, it is a, a huge burden and you, your way of um, keeping sane day to day uh, is also to have a very good health and fitness regime um, to cope with these kind of stressful decisions <coughs> and questions of integrity when you have to do the right thing. That's right. Rather than just doing things right. Um, I've always enjoyed conversations with you about fitness. Clearly, we both have enjoyed our running over our lives. Um, so tell us a bit more about what you do to keep fit and healthy and how you eat and that kind of stuff. Just, just give a bit of an, an insight into, into your Well, fitness. no excesses. Yeah. And, of course, the fitness regime has um, changed over time. Um, and I think that's really, really important. Everything in life evolves and changes. Um, your ability mentally and physically to do certain things changes over time. Yeah. And one needs to be brutally honest with oneself about that. I'll give you maybe a couple of examples. Um, when I was... Early in my career, in my sort of late 20s, early 30s, already traveling a lot. Uh, whenever I came off a long haul flight, I would sort of hit the gym and, and you know, f go full out and you know, try to max, max, the, max it out. Until a few years later, I, re I realized that um, I started becoming sick every time I did that. Really? And initially, I, thought, I put it down to, um, to you know, uh, bad luck or, or whatever. But what it really was sick is, as in an injury. Uh, no, sick like a, a cold or you right. know or whatever you know bronchitis or whatever. Yeah. Um, and I, I recognise that when you stress yourself mentally and physically on the plane and, and all of that, and then you hit the gym, you stress yourself physically. There are benefits to that, but the 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 negatives outweigh the benefits in the sense that your immune system gets so stressed that it can't cope with yeah. with what's being thrown at you, and that's a function of age as well. So you've got to. So I've stopped doing that and rather coming off a plane I went for walks uh, had a glass of wine at dinner just tried to get myself de-stressed in the immune system in a better place um, so that's kind of one of the one of the yeah. things you need to do but I think the most important thing which probably most people unfortunately miss is to recognize actually when you're stressed and when your mental health isn't where it needs to be yeah and that's a tough one yeah because um, the signs are there for you to see they obviously are but most people either drown them out, sort of block them out, mm. or mistake them for something else. And, um, you know, I'll give you an example. Last night, um, you know, uh, with this coronavirus going around and, and, and many tough choices having to be made around, do I cancel holidays? Do I, what do I do with my children? How do I manage this whole situation? What happens with the financial markets? You know, there's all these challenges. I was feeling really, really stressed. And I could recognize it, you know, my, my, my legs were sort of feeling a bit weak and I wasn't feeling great. And, and I knew, though, it wasn't I was getting sick. It was simply my mind playing tricks on me and telling me, you know, you should probably go to bed or something. 
Um, so I, my personal trainer came. He's been with me for 20 years. I think that's very important. 20 long, years? Long-term relationships. Wow. And he makes a big effort just as much as How I do. How often do you train with your uh, personal Two or three times a week now. Um, that's great. Um, and I said to him, Richard, um, I cannot work out today the way we normally work out. And we had a very, very light uh, session only, um, which then put me in a much better place. A couple of hours later, I realized my stress had gone. That's good. I was feeling much better. What, what, I was did, you feeling healthier. A, what did you do for a light training? Uh, we just um, did some balancing, you know, close the eyes, balance on one leg, balance on the other leg, some, some light pullbacks, yeah. um, a, a bit of, um, you know, bird dog, uh, you know, just very light stuff, some stretching. Bit like sort of some um, light yoga, really. Almost. Yeah, exactly. And breathing, a bit of breathing, and and I I realized it only two hours later. So what I was feeling coming on, like a cold or a flu or something, was gone. Wow. And the mental health was in the right place. I then texted him. I said, "Thanks so much, Richard, for coming." Because he has a he has a long journey. It takes about forty five fifty minutes to come wow. and see me. So that's twice that. Yeah. Right? So it's an hour and a half for him, an hour forty five. Um, and I said, "Thanks so much. I feel much better." Yeah. And but it's recognizing that a lot of yeah. people would go and and hit the gym hard and then wonder why they're sick the next day. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So oh, completely. this so, is why I wear the, the whoop.com strap because right. it, it gives me a reading of the sleep I have. Yeah. Um and my recovery from the night right. before based on heart rate variance and resting heart rate. Oh excellent. Um and also it looks at my cardiovascular stress yeah. that's on me whether it's work or whether you it's you must tell me more walking. about that off the record later we will we'll chat um, but, yeah, I'm but so, so why is that relevant to, to, the, to the job and you know well as I said you, you've got you know in my case I want to be there for my family I want to be there on the weekend to go take them swimming training the kids and stuff like that and I want to be there for, for the people who work for me um, and that requires you to be alert it requires you to be attentive you need to be able to listen and if you're not in top physical shape you can't do that yeah and, so, and what do you do nutrition wise um, what's your, what's your I try diet? to eat a varied diet. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't. Uh, and again, it's about listening what your body needs. Sometimes it needs porridge in the morning. Sometimes it needs yogurt with some fruit, if you can have it. Sometimes it just needs a big fry up. You know, you need to listen to that. And I remember a few months back, I was so stressed about something that I did. I wasn't hungry in the morning. Now, we know that if we don't eat properly. So there's two responses to stress. Some people overeat or some people don't eat enough. Either is not good. Now again, it's about analyzing that and saying, this is not good, I need to eat. So what can I eat? And I recognized, and I, I, going through what, what the options were, the only thing that would work that I would actually want to eat was a sausage and egg McMuffin at McDonald's. <laughs> so for about two weeks, I had six or seven sausage no. and egg McMuffins, but it's fine, Was this super-sized me, not, was it? No, no, it was just a sausage and egg McMuffin. It's not about, it's not about, and everybody's different anyway, right? Yeah, it's not about yeah. eating the right thing every day. It's about what's right for the day that works both physically and mentally for you. Yeah. And so why the sausage and egg McMuffin is certainly not healthy, it beats not having any food, and if it then makes you mentally in a better place, the positives outweigh the negatives. No yeah. doubt about it. It's about understanding yeah. that. Yeah, no, that's great. And that's, that's how great. I try to work. 
Now, going from fitness on to, uh, we had a discussion earlier, but I uh, would love to know a bit more. You were just at the stage of talking about teams, because you, you've oh, yeah. led a number of different teams, and how leading smaller teams, it's very different when you've got to lead a bigger team, and favoritism and the close group. Yeah. Can you talk a bit more like that, and also end with your final tip about careers? You had some Yeah, good so advice. good stuff. So so um, I, I, think, I think the leadership skills to lead, um, um, there are some universal skills, but there are definitely um, leading small groups of people require very different leadership skills from big groups of people. Now, in a small group, typically you get the team, let's say up to 10 people or eight or 10, whatever the number is, um, probably everybody buys into everybody actually. So everybody in that sense in a small team is their own leader and it makes the team so much more powerful because you know um, everybody's really close and tightly knit and so, of course, there's there's one person that that's the leader, but nominally, then they're really the primus inter pares, I would yeah, say. Yeah. And um, and that that's great. There's a lot of personal charisma involved. There is a lot of um, interpersonal. You need to you know you know everything about the individual, their families, the birthdays of the kids, all of mm. that sort of stuff. Mm. And it's very personal. Yeah. Now, when you lead a large organization across multiple continents, multiple disciplines, disciplines most likely not with the your discipline. So in my case, for example, I was an investment professional, but an investment management organization is only about a third investment professionals here yeah, typically. The other two thirds are, you know, um, support services, uh, operations, and of course distribution and sales. Yeah. So you, you haven't led those people directly as a leader, neither do you have their competence in terms of mm. your own your own skill base. Yeah. So the the, the, the challenge becomes much more complex um, and my answer to that and you know this is again personal but my answer to that is to say um, a rather less personal leadership style is required one that one that puts fairness mm. and respect for the individual fairness and integrity at the top of the list everybody needs to feel that they have a fair shot at making the best out of the careers that they possibly can and that of course requires you as a leader not to be seen to have any favorites that means i never really went out for dinners with anybody um, um, you know outside of the office context um, i when i moved from merlinch to um uh, to to alliance global investors i didn't bring anybody with me other than my personal secretary and then I made one other hire from my old shop, but a couple of years later. Mm. So I didn't surround myself with my group Cronies. of people, which unfortunately most leaders do. Yes. They bring people they trust. I made a conscious decision not to do that because I, 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 I said, everybody can trust me because, and yes. I trust everybody to deliver. Yes. Yeah. And so that's the sort of part of the, of the, the fairness piece. Yeah. Really, really important. I like that. I like that. And and yeah and and operate that way and that's been that's been a that's been a good experience for me. Good. And then final top tip in the last minute. What would your final top tip be about careers? The probably most of of the question most often I get asked um, in interviews um, in in career discussion um, graduate training graduate trainees ask me that question is. In, a variation of how do you build your career? How did you end up being, becoming a CEO? Mm. And my answer to that invariably is to say, you know, you don't plan your career. You don't have a particular path in mind. One shouldn't, because it 
it, um, it prevents you from listening and being open to the opportunities that present themselves along the way. And more often than not, certainly this is the case in my case, uh, it was the case for me, the opportunities that came along that I felt best matched my, my skill set were not the ones one would have expected, I would have expected. Yeah. And if you are too set in terms of a career path, you will miss those and therefore you'll miss out on a great career. Brilliant. Andreas, as always, we could have chatted for about three more hours. Absolutely. Fascinating. Thank Thanks you so much. Thank you. Really uh, a great, pleasure. great pleasure having you on the, uh, on the series. You definitely deserve because you are truly inspiring. Yeah. Thank you. So, now you've heard from one of the inspiring leaders that I've interviewed, what are you going to do next? If you want to get some more free material, go to my website, jonathanperks.com, or follow me on LinkedIn, Jonathan Bowman Perks. And there you can get access to my books, uh, Inspiring Leadership and Top Tips for Inspiring Leaders. But if you want to actually do something about being a leader and constantly improving your game, raising your performance, get in touch with me about coaching you or one of your team that you want to raise the game for them. It's got to be people who want to be good to great, not people who you're trying to fire. And if you're looking for a motivational speaker, get in touch. Or if you want me to work with your team coach, I would be delighted to help you.